Hello and welcome to another episode of the NudgeCast. My name is Phil Bean. I'm the host and I'm also the co-founder and president at Nudge. And if you're wondering what president means at Nudge, it means I am kind of leading the charge on a lot of the content efforts. I run all of our marketing initiatives at Nudge um, and oversee a, a bunch of other stuff as well. Of course, I wear a lot of hats as a kind of smallish, fast-growing young company. Um, but today, the big focus and what I wanted to let you guys kind of behind the scenes for is a little look at some of the best practices and key concepts. Kind of, a, I wanted to give you a cheat sheet, for lack of a better word, on some outreach communications tactics because I literally have no one else to hang out with me on the show today. So I'm trying to come to you live from my home office um, and I'm going to actually record this and put it up on YouTube for anyone to watch. So um, you'll see behind me, I have two bikes. You'll see, you may be able to tell that it's nine o'clock at night here. <laughs> sometimes I record these late. Um, and sometimes I may have a nice glass of wine nearby while I'm recording as well. So um, this is a little bit of a behind the scenes episode, but also an opportunity for me to really kind of nail down just some of these like quick best practices that I use kind of in my day-to-day life um, focused again on our marketing communications but I'm framing this in a way that it's you know focused on what um, outreach communications are going to look like for anyone really running a health improvement program or initiative or a population health management initiative of any time of any kind excuse me so I'm going to start with some key principles that I touched on in a recent webinar we did. Um, And then I'm going to kind of extrapolate how those kind of translate into some of the best practices that I use in different types of communication. So I'm going to try to keep this quick, fast moving, and I'm going to try to just knock out some kind of great reference points and best practices for you guys to refer back to you know, in the future. I hope this is, this turns into an episode that gets referred back to every now and then. Um, I would consider that one hell of an accomplishment since this is again, me all by myself. Um, no guests today, but let's get right into it. And before I dive in too deep, I wanted to just kind of frame where we are. So at Nudge, kind of everything that we do falls within um, the idea of engagement overall, but there are several stages, you know, of uh, any initiative that we can jump into and really have an impact on long-term engagement. Engagement is a very long-term vision-focused thing. Um, our kind of internal motto or credo is engagement first. Um, so anything that I say, you know, I I think you could put engagement first and whatever that focus is. Um, in order for, for anything that I'm referring to. So for example, if I say identification, it's engagement first identification for us. And if I say outreach, it's engagement first outreach. So again, today we're focused on outreach, best tactics and best practices. And um, so everything that we touch on, you know, again, engagement first, but it goes from one of these five stages and we, we touch on everything through this, you know, we've really expanded where we like to get involved with the partners we work with who are, you know, whether they're solutions providers for population health management initiatives or um, have their own kind of health improvement program of some time that there's some kind that they're selling online. Um, 
these are all types of initiatives that we work with. Um, and they all typically have these five phases where we like to look at, you know, how we can help improve their effectiveness and efficiency and where we can really dig in with them and get involved. But the first step is identification. This is for us identifying who the target audience is. Who are we speaking to with our outreach, with our uh, program? Who is our offering for? Um, so they're, you know, from a very high level, and I'm doing this off the top of my head, so if I miss something obvious, please forgive me. But from a very high level, there are kind of two big buckets that I would kind of uh, put our kind of likely partners under. Uh, one is they just have a, a health improvement initiative of some type that they're selling online. Um, and the identification phase for these people is literally defining their target audience and, you know, who are they selling to? Who are they marketing to? Um, you know, developing personas and who that target persona really is, that ideal customer, uh, as we like to say in marketing. Uh, but for population health management initiatives, what the identification phase often looks like is basically, you can imagine um, the uh, predictive analytics phase. So you can use a tool for predictive analytics, like a base health or something along those lines, um, a company that's really, you know, been doing some interesting things in predictive analytics. Um, companies like that, um, you, you apply this predictive analytics layer to what you're doing. So you have this broad audience that you could be serving, say is an enormous set of employers um, that are involved and you have this population that you're targeting. Then you apply these um, advanced analytics and you come out with 55% um, of those who could be at high risk or could have a specific chronic condition, for example, that needs to be managed more effectively, more efficiently, um, and probably more quickly if you're you know, really in the population health management business. So um, that's just an example of how the identification phase happens. Again, I'm just trying to trying to set the tone here, trying to frame where we're talking. So after identification comes the outreach phase, and that's where we're living today, and that's where a lot of our content is living um, right now. If you've been uh, following what's going on at Nudge, maybe you're on the recent webinar that we did last week. Uh, we we did one focusing on outreach. And outreach, you know, kind of bleeds into the next phase for us, the third phase, which is qualification. And that's something that we see get skipped a lot that really is vitally important to the effectiveness and the efficiency of a particular health improvement initiative or population health initiative. Uh, after qualification, we go into enrollment. Obviously, you know, a lot of you out there are thinking enrollment is vital to everything I do. It's how I, you know, keep my job. It's how I, uh, you know, measure my success. Uh, well, we take, in some ways, a, a little bit of a different look in enrollment, and it takes a little bit of a commitment on the part of the partners we're working with. But our goal is not to enroll as many people as possible. It's, in, it's to enroll those who are ready for engagement, for participating in a specific program, and hopefully in the end for behavior change. And then the final phase, phase five, um, where we get involved is in coaching. And that's really where we started our company and kind of where our, our home base is um, and how we got so passionate about the idea of consumer engagement through these remote coaching tools, through digital uh, communications is by 
getting really, you know, involved and hands-on in these uh, remote coaching initiatives that companies were doing, whether in employer populations or, um, again, just businesses running who are signing people up for, for health coaching online. Uh, we learned a lot from working with these, you know, the early partners that we had and developed best practices and obviously refined our uh, remote coaching platform that we have at Nudge, Nudge Coach, um, which is really kind of the, the bread and butter, the, the enabling tool that powers um, or, or makes more efficient, I guess. Technology is always about efficiency. So it makes more efficient, you know, the idea of remote coaching engagement. Um, but what you, know, you need to remember is though we are a technology company, our real um, innovation and what we're passionate about, even though we really do feel like we have top of the line, best in class technology. And most people who have seen it would say that what we are passionate about is humanizing the healthcare experience, humanizing the wellness experience, um, personalization, um, and, and really putting, you know, meaning behind, um, these health improvement efforts that are out there that are way too much, uh, a paint by numbers game right now, to be frank. Um, there's way too much, program thinking going on in our opinion. So that's kind of the the underlying logic for everything that I'm talking about today. If you're wondering where we're coming from, a lot of you who have been following this podcast for a while are like, why are you telling me this again? Well, guys, we have new, new listeners too, uh, but I appreciate you. So let's get into the specifics of what I wanted to talk about today. Some really useful, hopefully, Outreach communications tactics is a little bit of a cheat sheet for different kinds of communications, but I wanted to start with some principles and really three principles that I personally live by in any um, outreach uh, initiative that I am collaborating with a partner on, any marketing initiative that I'm doing through Nudge itself. Obviously, um, that's probably where most of my time is spent, um, at least these days. Uh, there are really three principles that I filter every content communications decision through, and these are them. I'm going to try to keep them as simple as possible. Number one is empathy. Empathy. Hopefully you know what empathy means. Basically, can I, as a marketer, as someone sending out these communications, um, however they may be sent out, whether it's digital or a phone call or a mailer, how can I really think about everything that I'm putting out there through the eyes of the reader, the specific person that I'm targeting and who's going to be reading this? How are they going to interpret it? Can I avoid the wrong messaging that's going to turn them off based on their life experiences? Can I avoid the wrong language that's going to turn them off based on their past experiences? Especially important in population health management to think about this stuff because a lot of times we are targeting individuals who have had real struggles in the past. They have, you know, come in with, for lack of a better term, a lot of baggage when it comes to the ideas of quote, health improvement programs of any kind, anything programmatic. They're like, ah, I've tried a lot of these programs. Never works for me. Um, so a lot of times we need to communicate differently. And that starts with really seeing everything that we're putting out there communications wise through the eyes of the reader of that individual we're targeting for our um, offerings for our programs, whatever we want to call them. So 
Your goal number one is to experience it through the eyes of whoever is receiving this message. Um, second key principle that I always use as a filter for my communications is simplicity. So we had empathy first, simplicity is the second one. And I use a definition that I got from Russ Campbell, our designer, um, actually had him on one of the first ever episodes of the Nudgecast to talk about some of his principles for design. And I literally stole this one for uh, this episode. Simplicity to us means reducing choice while maximizing utility. So if you think about that, it's a little bit technical, literally only four words, but it means so much. Reduce choice and maximize utility. So how can I make the next step as simple as possible for you know the person who I'm communicating with here? How can I refine it down, remove any choice possible? Because choice inherently takes effort. Um, it takes mind share to make a choice. It takes um, conscious decision-making, obviously. Um, that is not an automatic system for a human. Um, it really does take effort and you have sort of a limited, limited resources on this front. So reducing choice at all costs is important. Um, and you know, maximizing utility obviously means maximizing usefulness. Um, so, and maximizing the value that someone is going to get, even though you're reducing this choice. So how can we limit the number of options, the complexity of the options, and how can we help them get the most value and the most perceived value, which is really what's important out of what we're offering them and putting in front of them. So that's number two. So we have empathy. Number one, principle number two is simplicity. Principle number three is clarity. And the way I frame this is, Maybe the a little bit kind of the kind of looking at the negative space in a way um, of, of the clarity issue. You know, you may think just make it as as obvious as possible. Um, the way I frame this is kind of the opposite perspective, and that you want to make it as hard to misunderstand as possible when you're dealing with a population. Especially again, I'm going to refer back to population health management initiatives a lot. Um, especially in this case, you want to be extremely careful about anything that could increase uncertainty because, again, a lot of these people you're, you're communicating with are, you know, in terms of behavioral science, which I'll get into a little bit more in a second and that we've dug into on a lot of past episodes. You know, people are in different phases of change or readiness to participate in a specific program or make a change in their life. And the majority of these people are going to be sort of waffling in the middle and, you know, what we call a contemplation phase or in a, uh, a preparation phase. And what's so important about communicating to those people is removing any uncertainty so that the decision is as clear as possible. And that gets you basically halfway to a point where when they sit down and, and decisions are really made based on weighing pros and cons, um, there's a concept that we talk about the, the um, decisional balance or decisional balance sheet. You can think of that as just a kind of little matrix of pros and cons that people are weighing out for any given change that they're asked to make or thinking about making. Um, if you can be extremely clear and, and, and remove any likelihood of, of uncertainty, provide enough clarity that the next step is incredibly clear and obvious 
then you're going to drastically increase the likelihood of that individual who may be thinking about making a change, deciding that, you know, now is the time and it makes sense because I know exactly what to expect next. And for me, the pros outweighs the cons here. And that's how I'm going to keep moving forward. So empathy, number one, simplicity, number two, and principle, number three, clarity. That is literally as what I filter almost every outreach or marketing communication through. And if um, anything that I feel like I'm about to send out is going to fail one of those tests, I will really just pull it off the shelf. I won't send it. I will take it back into my little content workshop um, like I'm hanging out in right now and uh, go back to the drawing board until it does. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the starting point of, of everything that we talk about, everything that I do for framing my outreach communications as I start with those principles. And then I try to work those into, you know, some simple best practices for really in a lot of ways, this is for me to communicate to you how I'm using these principles because, you know, I think you've probably experienced this too when you get really sucked into your work. Um, You tend to just sort of kind of intuitively develop uh, routines around what you do and you don't, you don't always kind of stay mindful about what those are. So you know, you don't think about the idea of, oh, I might have to teach this to someone at some point. Well, this is a case like that for me where I have these principles and I kind of filter everything through this uh, mindset, but I didn't necessarily know what the best practices were um, going to be on the other end of that when I, when I sat down to talk about this. So I sat down and I focused on just a couple um, because I thought they were really valuable, but I wanted to talk about some um, you know, best practices for kind of the different types of outreach communications. So when we talk about outreach communications, again, we're talking about things that happen before you enroll an individual in a specific program. Um, the obvious case is before they buy something from you online, if they're literally selling your program, again, uh, more population health management mindset, outreach begins. That's how you kind of um, can first make contact with the kind of target population that you're trying to engage. And then this all happens before enrollment is trying to really guide people to enrollment. Um, But again, as I said in the beginning, everything for us at Nudge is looked at through an engagement first lens. So that's where it all starts always. So this is engagement first outreach that we're talking about here. Um, So let's talk about kind of three different types, I guess, of outreach communications that you could have. You could have one, you can have a phone call is very likely. We've talked to a lot of organizations in the population health management space, especially who may not even have an email address for a lot of the people in the population that they're charged with um, engaging. So um, just going to start with a couple points on that. Then we're going to talk about something that almost sounds like a out of fashion uh, marketing idea, but a direct mailer, which is still a valuable piece. Um, And I read actually something pretty interesting recently that highlighted uh, the impact of direct mail on uh, Gen X, which I didn't really, hadn't really thought about um, uh, too much anyway, but you know, the direct mail kind of tactics are, a little bit, they do speak a little bit more towards 
um, kind of the boomer and Gen X populations, it seems like from, from my experience and what I've, I've read and learned. Um, and then we have third, the kind of digital outreach tactics, um, which for me, everything starts with email marketing. Um, that's, you know, um, having an email list is incredibly valuable and that gives you a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunity to kind of track conversations and, and, you know, have form a lot of more useful metrics around everything that you're doing. Um, but again, the, the digital piece last, uh, but again, just wanted to knock out some kind of best pra- practices that you guys can refer back to. So say fo- a phone call is going to be your first, um, touch point for an outreach initiative, uh, trying to enroll people into a program. Um, and you're setting up your call script and, and you got, you know, team members identified who are going to do outreach for you. So um, some key things that I like to keep in mind and I like to think about, um, I start with the idea that I want to really define and be very explicit about defining my goal for what information I'm trying to get out of this first touch point. Because when it comes to phone calls, um, oftentimes, and, you know, obviously, you know, with anything, the conversion rates aren't going to be incredibly high. You know, you're going to call a lot of people and a lot of people aren't going to answer. But when they do, um, you know, you kind of run into a situation where you have a good segment of people who in a way are just trying to be polite and are really in a way trying to get you off the phone and will agree to a lot of things that they won't actually follow through on in order to get you off the phone. So that's something that we find. And and that's why I'm so explicit about what I want to get out of the first call so that I can continue the conversation. That's what I'm trying to enable here. Um, So, some things that I think about when I'm developing a, you know, an idea for a call script is how can I qualify the person that I'm going to get to answer the phone for further engagement? I want to find out what behavioral stage they're in, how close they are to ready to make a change in their life. Uh, they may be, and that's why we are developing things that nudge like uh, um, engagement qualification matrices, um, and these are basically surveys and, and questionnaires that you can give in a very hopefully personalized human way over the phone, for example, um, where you can just ask a couple of quick questions. And that's going to give you an, a good idea of where this person is in their kind of journey um, when, you, you know, when it comes to readiness for change. And I know this is a review for a lot of you guys, but you can be anywhere from pre-contemplation, which is basically someone that's going to say, no, that's not for me. I'm not ready for that. I'm not interested. I won't. I can't. Um, you could be in contemplation. Uh, this is the next phase is someone who may be thinking, yeah, it's, it's possible, but I need to learn a lot more. Um, I'll think about it, but I failed before maybe. Um, you could be in preparation, which is one step closer. Um, you're getting ready to make a change, but you don't know if the pros outweigh the cons yet for you. Um, you may not know what that specific next step looks like. Um, there may be still some uncertainty for you. And then there's the action phase. So again, we're trying to work people through this spectrum and, it, and it's in intrinsic motivation that we're trying to develop. So it's not like I can say, hey, I'm just going to make you change. That's not what's happening here. So with that call, that's all to say that what's vitally important is that we qualify this person, try to find out where they are in these stages of change so that we know how to communicate with them going forward. 
And the second piece is I would always recommend, especially for any you know, population health management initiative that's going to be working with a population where they might not have email addresses yet, start with focusing on getting that email address from them so that you kind of have captured that person as like a proper lead and you can communicate them through digital means going forward, which is going to be a lot cheaper for you to implement over time, um, a lot less resource heavy. And, you know, a situation where, um, you know, a lot of these people in the earlier stages of change, they might be four months, six months away from ready to actually enroll in their program. But the only thing that's going to move them in the right direction is, you know, communications that are delivering the right messaging that's going to kind of nudge them and help them internalize the issues that they're struggling with, whether health-wise or the aspirations that they have health-wise um, that are, you know, going to be internalized and help them realize, you know, what's important to them and why they would want to make a change, if that all make, made sense. So getting that email address um, is vitally important, in my opinion. Um, especially for those um, health management initiatives where you may not have those email addresses yet. So qualify the individual, get that email address. That's going to empower you to future things because, again, when you get that first, um, that first call and someone answers the phone, um, even if – and I would advise you do this, you know, try to set up the next call on, on that very converse, during that very conversation – but just word to the wise, the majority of those individuals are just agreeing to a next call in order to get you off the phone, and they're never going to answer the phone again if they recognize the number. So um, just remember that I said that, and remember that that's why that's so important that you actually gather this other contact information. Now, moving on from the phone call is the first touch point to a mailer. And again, obviously, all these things can be happening kind of um, side by side and you know it doesn't have to go in order for example it doesn't have to be just a phone call uh, just phone call outreach and then just uh, direct mail outreach and then just digital outreach um, all these things can be kind of blended together so that you're meeting everyone where they are because these are again going to be human beings on the other end of all these communications so different people are going to engage in different ways it's going to be convenient and uncomplicated and um, comfortable for them to engage in different ways. So you got to hit them on all fronts when possible. If you're not watching on YouTube, that was a pause to take a quick sip of wine. Again, it's a little late here, but I'm trying to pump this one out. Um, so direct mail. One thing I really want to touch on with a direct mail piece, and again, this is not passe. This is something that you can really use effectively if you use it in the right way. And you know, one of the most common ways I'm going to just because there are so many different things you can do, you can obviously do something very visual. Um, you know, it's hard to talk through, I guess, the, um, the most important aspects of a very visual piece that's image heavy. Um, other than kind of speaking to the recipient where they are, which is hard to do on a first, first touch outreach effort. So I'm going to talk about basically the concept of sending kind of an invitation letter, um, an introductory letter or an invitation letter to participate in your program. So the first outreach step where you as, um, you know, the organization are reaching out as kind of an individual within the organization is, is one way to frame it a lot of times. Um, you know, it's kind of a framed as a personal letter. So 
there are some best practices that I like to focus on with this as well, with direct mail. Um, and this all stems from the idea that you understand going in that with a first kind of piece of outreach communication, you have a broad spectrum of personas that you're reaching out to, types of people who are in different readiness stages. In this case, for direct outreach through a mailer, these are people who consume written information in different ways. And we have sort of different situational or attention span personas with a direct mail piece. So I, you know, go to the mailbox, I bring in the mail. Um, what I need to think about is the context in which this person is going to read this piece. Again, that's the empathy bit um, of the principles that I shared in the beginning. So um, some things you can do here is understand that you have a range of personas. And I like to look at this from uh, the letter persona, the kind of personal letter persona or the personal letter, excuse me, idea um, of the first piece of outreach. You have a range of kind of reader personas from skimmers to analyzers. So picture, you know, the person who's just going to like flip this thing open and skim it really fast, uh, may not even read most of it um, on one end of the spectrum. And then the kind of typically you would kind of identify this person as like a type A uh, detail oriented person, the analyzers on the other end. So skimmers to analyzers. And then in between you'll have, you know, everybody else, but you could picture like a um, distracted parent somewhere close to skimmer, but more likely to read a little bit more. And then, you know, a speed reader who's just trying to get through their mail as quickly as possible, who reads everything, but is reading really fast and may skip over details. Um, all these personas you have to be kind of prepared for with this initial outreach piece. So some tips that I give to people who are doing this is a really hard task from a marketing perspective. You want to know your audience more specifically than this, but here's what you can do to kind of speak to a little bit of everybody, if that makes sense. So one thing I do is um, with these kind of personally framed kind of letter pieces that are saying, introducing yourself, hey, hey I'm so-and-so at so-and-so company. Um, you know, this is a little bit about our program where you're getting this information. Um, hey, I know behavior change is hard, yada, yada, yada. So obviously this is framed as a personal letter. First thing I do is kind of break up the text as much as possible. So there's a lot of research out there that is, you know, more and more difficult uh, for more difficult for people to read kind of block, large blocks of text. Um, don't use a condensed font, for example. And this doesn't have to be complicated. You can use Arial, for goodness sake. Like it doesn't have to be something you've never heard of, but just don't use a condensed font that makes it hard, especially for your kind of older uh, audience members to read. Um, so break up, um, maybe even sentence by sentence, almost right at like bullet points, but one sentence and then new paragraph, another sentence, new paragraph, or two that fit together really well, and then new paragraph. Just don't make it large blocks of text. Um, that's going to help kind of everybody, even if they're trying to get through it quickly, digest it um, in a better way. Second thing is, um, and this is really the powerful thing, incorporate headlines for those skimmers. So what you really want to um, be able to accomplish um, is to be able to draw the attention of the skimmer and tell them a story with just the headlines, but also adequately inform the analyzer 
and fill in the details to the body of uh, the letter that you're writing here. So what I would do is put headlines on top of each, uh, the important paragraphs, put headlines on top of them in a different color. So picture like a bright green headline um, followed by more details um, within the uh, body of the um, letter that are just in, you know, your standard black. Now what is great about this is if you frame it properly, your goal is this, that these say bright green headlines that you've created, if you just read those, which is what the skimmer is likely to do, if I just read those little, you know, four to six word headlines, each one, maybe I have four of them, um, that should tell the entire story, um, basically, of what you want that person to do and why you want them to do it. Um, through just the headlines, just reading the headlines, the skimmer could get the, get the gist of the outreach piece, um, hit kind of the most important value propositions there. And you still may be able through a direct mailing to grab the skimmer and get them to, you know, take the next step toward at least rolling in your program if you frame it properly. And that will never happen if you're, welcome letter if your first outreach piece is just blocks of text um, and even you know bullet points if they're all the same color no one's going to really uh, no skimmer is going to dig into that or no one close to that you know kind of skimmer is going to dig into that so if the headlines tell the story completely so for for example you have this full letter that outlines kind of the whole story who you are uh, why you're reaching out uh, what's different about the program hey this program what we do is you know really catered toward you putting you at the center, all that great stuff. But what if the headlines just said, first headline, would you consider trying a different approach? And then you have more information. Second headline, it's easy to learn more online. More information, website, and bold. Next headline, or talk with me directly. What's that doing? I've given someone an option online. I've given someone a way to connect with me directly. That's hitting two different personas within your audience. You can kind of summarize this as being kind of the online for the millennial who wants to learn more about themselves or or about the program from themselves um, without engaging a real person and the talk to me directly for the maybe the boomer who really wants to speak to a real person and doesn't believe there's a real person behind anything that he gets. Um, you know, that's, you know, jumping, you're making a lot of assumptions, but again, you're hitting on multiple person personas by doing that. Um, next headline, um, could be a key value proposition or key, uh, component of the program. So say like, uh, the cost of this offering is already included in your plan. Uh, so that's a common, common, uh, situation in population health management. Um, these, uh, programs, uh, say my personal assistance as a health coach is included in your benefits. So you don't have to pay any more for this. I don't want to say it's free necessarily because that devalues it a little bit, but I can say something as simple as, as a headline, the cost of this offering is already included in your plan. We will protect your privacy as in, we won't share your information back to your employer. Um, once you enroll, that is just between you and, uh, you and, um, and us and our team, uh, we won't, you know, go report back to big brother about what we're doing here. So, um, again, I could have, you know, this full letter here with my, you know, my signature, all this information about the details of the program. But if the headlines are in a bright color, um, that is not the same as the body text and say, 
Headline one, would you consider trying a different approach? Headline two, it's easy to learn more online. Headline three, or talk with me directly. Headline four, the cost of this offering is already included in your plan. Headline five, we will protect your privacy. I just told the entire story through five little headlines that are going to jump off the page of that person, even if they aren't that interested in reading the entire piece. So that's kind of some quick high-level best practices for the direct mailer. And the last piece I'm going to give you on that, um, just as, you know, parting wisdom, do not use industry jargon in a direct mailer. Um, it is probably my... Um, biggest pet peeve um, when our partners are just filling their direct mailers with, Hey, this is a, our chronic care management program for uh, you can work with this, you know, blah, 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 practitioner of X. I don't know. Just think of any healthcare jargon that you could put out there. That is obviously very comfortable for you to understand. That is like, the case in point of lacking the first principle of empathy that I talked about earlier, like the, the average consumer does not speak healthcare. Um, You need to speak to them on their level, on their terms um, where they are. So uh, leave that jargon at the door, use those headlines to grab the skimmers and fill in the rest for those analyzers. That's my um, best practices for the mailer. And then the last piece, digital communication There's so much you can do with digital communication. Once you get someone's email address, you can kind of, you can of course send emails and track every click they have and segment the audience further based on that. And that's really, you know, what this is all about. If you can incorporate the idea of qualification um, and for us at Nudge, we always focus qualification on what's, you know, easy to find out and the most powerful for your long-term engagement processes for your enrollment processes is that readiness for change concept um, that is so researched from, you know, um, the last 40 years of behavioral science. um, Thanks to the trans theoretical model of behavior change. Um, If you can incorporate a way to effectively qualify um, a person, especially in terms of readiness for engagement in any given program, um, within the outreach process, then you have saved yourself so much time and effort and pain. Um, and what you can do, and this is maybe the most important point I'm going to leave you with from this episode is if, you know, you get the opportunity to get someone to a landing page or to click on an email, use that email to segment your audience by, readiness for change so that you get the people um, who you're sending this to, to self-identify as I am, you know, ready to check this out. I'm ready for action or I'm considering this, but I don't know. I've had a lot of, you know, um, bad experiences in the past with programs. I haven't had a lot of success. I'm hesitant. I want to learn more Um, or on the opposite end of the spectrum. I am, this is not for me. I can't do it yet. I'm, I'm, I won't do it. Um, I'm not interested if you can, through your initial communications, begin to bucket um, your total audience uh, by readiness, then you can communicate specifically to where they are with the rest of your campaign. We see so many times the partners that we engage with for um, kind of the engagement piece, the coaching piece typically, where we train people on you know, effective communication that leads to long-term engagement through coaching and how that gets people to behavior change and eventually to their um, improved outcomes. 
Um, you know, when we engage people, we, 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 when we engage our partners for this, we typically find out that there's a massive hole in their outreach processes where they're not taking the time to qualify people and therefore missing this massive opportunity to, you know, continue to have this kind of evergreen campaign that's learning as they go. Hey, this person is not ready. So I'm going to start communicating them through a nurturing campaign, which could be delivered through email or otherwise. It is designed for that specific stage of readiness. So if I'm not ready, I can communicate. I know that person's not ready. I can communicate to them through a specific email campaign saying, um, you know, providing more information, um, using kind of triggers and tactics to increase the confidence of that person and the understanding that they can, in fact, take some very simple steps toward um, improving their health or overcoming this health status issue that they have. Um, a lot of this can be, you know, over time kind of internalized and realized through the right type of education. And you can do that if you know in the beginning what stage of readiness for change this individual you're communicating with is. Um, so whereas most campaigns will kind of enroll the 1% up front and learn nothing about the 99%, um, you know, our campaigns that we work on have nurturing buckets for each stage of readiness so that no one is left alone after that um, initial kind of outreach effort. Everyone kind of is, the goal is to put everyone into a bucket and the goal is to get them to the next stage of the bucket, not to enroll them, but to move them from pre-contemplation to contemplation, from contemplation to preparation and from preparation to action to enrollment. So, you know, we understand that this is not a short-term game. If you're trying to change health, it is a long-term process. It requires lasting engagement, and everything you do should be filtered through the idea that this is not about enrolling people who aren't ready. This is about slowly nurturing people through the process so that they enroll when they are ready so that you're not wasting additional resources, very valuable resources, whether that's personnel um, or otherwise typically personnel time and effort on trying to engage someone who's simply not ready to make a change uh, because that's going to just lead to all types of frustration. You're probably going to over hire in order to serve that audience. Uh, you're probably going to have frustrated team members because they're not having as much success actually engaging these people as they should. If you just live by this one maxim up front, we only want to enroll the people who are ready to make a change to, to engage in this program. We're not, our goal is not to enroll everyone. Our goal is to enroll those who are ready. So I hope that was a helpful episode that was fast paced. That was off the top of my head and I recorded it on video, um, even though it's just me staring into a screen. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, if you find it valuable, um, again, subscribe to the Nudgecast on your favorite podcast app, whatever you use. Um, and if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts especially, but on anything that lets you, we would really love if you would review it or just give us a five-star rating. Uh, those really are valuable as far as our discoverability. That's why we ask. So really appreciate it. And if you like what we're putting out there, really help us out with that. Also, quick shout out to Travis Brown, producer of this podcast. Um, really appreciate all your help, man. Uh, this is, I think, episode 10. Couldn't have done it without you. Um, thanks to uh, Matt Gamble for helping me out, uh, frame some of this information, and Dr. Steve Firemilk. And guys, we will talk to you again on the next episode of the Nudgecast.
See you next time.